Hello, and welcome from the Renaissance Baptist Church of Brooklyn. Join us this week as Pastor John continues his summer sermon series on the parables. My, uh, my uh, last sermon for a month, um, starting next Sunday, correct, Scott? Just in case I was wrong already. Uh, Scott's going to be preaching uh, four in a row, um, starting next Sunday on the book of Ruth. So your homework this week isn't connected with today's sermon, it's next week's sermon. Four chapters, read it through sometime over the next week, uh, help Scott to uh, get yourself grounded. You're going to find a character named Boaz, just so happens that 25% of Scott's children are named Boaz. So uh, you'll uh, find out a little bit about this uh, curious man, and uh, we're looking forward to that. I'll be still here next Sunday, but uh, after that, Scott's on his own. Trust me. Trust me. What do those words mean to you? How does somebody saying those two words to you um, make you feel when somebody asks you to trust them? What memories do they bring to mind? What kind of things need to be in place for you to feel safe when you hear someone say those two words, trust me? Some people are more trusting than other people. Um, I would imagine that uh, if you're like me, it all depends on who's saying the words to you. Now, if it was Janine saying to me, trust me, um, it would be pretty much insulting based on all of the years of experience I've had, knowing that uh, there's no reason for me not to trust Janine. It would be pretty much insulting for me to not trust her if she said those words to me. Um, so if I would have said, no, sorry, I just don't trust you, that would be a pretty sad statement. Uh, some people have had a life that has made it easier for them to trust than other people have. Some people have been hurt so many times that those two words represent the biggest challenge they face in every relationship they're involved in for the rest of their lives. And unfortunately, this also bleeds over into their relationship with God. Now, Peter... Peter is not a victim or an abuse sufferer. When he asked Jesus about the life of following him, and he actually asked the words, what will we get out of it? And you have to remember everything that I'm going to say and, and about Peter, and if you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 and 20, we're just on this scene between those two chapters. Everything I say about Peter is in context of before Peter asked that question, what will we get out of it? He has actually left everything. He's left everything behind to follow Jesus. So we shouldn't judge him too quickly when Jesus talks about following him and making sacrifices when he says, what will we get out of it? But the answer that Jesus gives can be wrapped up in those two words, trust me. But, it, but that answer, trust me, is, is in a form of both a promise and a warning. A major element of being the kind of person who's willing to invest their lives in what God is doing in this world and in their own life is, is trust. That's a major factor. You have to believe uh, that what you're selling out to or trusting in is, is really worth it. A famous passage of Scripture goes like this. So you see, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God 
and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That, that's the, that verse is really what our parable, I think, is all about today. How to live in a trusting way. How to rest in the fact that when you do give your life away to God, it's a God who rewards those who earnestly seek him. But let's take a look at this uh, famous Peter movement, uh, Peter moment, I should say, and see what brought about Jesus telling this very strange story that has some, frankly, um, really almost ridiculous labor practices and uh, management and farm practice managements. If you have a Bible with you, and I recommend you bring a Bible every week or grab one off the back table if you don't have one. And if you grab one off the back table and you don't have one at home, you can take that one home with you. Um, just because we always put our scriptures up on the screen, but we'd love to have the Bible right in front of you so that if you see something that really strikes you, you can mark it and look it up when you get at home. And it's like when all the scriptures are just on the screen and you're following along, it can be like when you're watching TV and someone else has a remote. You know how much that drives you crazy. Well, we'd love it if you had your own Bible with you. Anyway, Jesus has this conversation in Matthew 19 with a rich young man. How do I know uh, that he was a rich young man? Because the passage actually says, when the young man heard this, he went away sadly because he had many possessions. And if your Bible's like mine, right at the top, it says, rich young ruler. So that's how I knew he was rich. Anyhow, so what would Jesus say that uh, would make uh, a rich young man go away sadly? Well, it was this. What does God want from you? And God wants anything and everything that comes between the two of you. Don't, don't get hung up on the dollar signs and this idea of his many possessions when I read this story. Um, you can insert whatever your treasure might be, whatever it is that gets more of your focus or is more attached to your heart than, than your heart is to God, and you can just insert that in there. It's not really a conversation about money. If you imagine Jesus having this conversation with you, you may not have many possessions. You know, for you to walk away from all of it might be relatively easy compared to a rich man, but is there anything else? So just let me uh, read. Someone came to Jesus with this question. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. And Jesus replied, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Notice he doesn't say that he won't any longer have any treasure. He said, go and sell everything you have and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Well, now we're on to that idea of trust, right? It's investing in one at the expense of all the other. But when the young man heard this, he went away very sad because he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. 
But with God, everything is possible. Let me just stop there and we'll pick this up. I don't want to spend too much time on this uh, rich young ruler this story this morning because it's just the situation that led to Jesus telling the story we are going to consider. And, and uh, I, I want to highlight that is in many of Jesus' parables, he's on this theme of the kingdom of heaven, that his rulership and being in his, under his kingship, and that being your identity as a follower of Christ and your, your citizenship is as a member of the kingdom of heaven. And that it's, it's meant to be a treasure that supersedes every other treasure in your life. Uh, you might be just, uh, Jesus would have good reason if there's anything else in the world that you treasure more than that, then that's really your treasure. Whatever your treasure, you may really be chasing after with your affections. Why does this man walk away sadly? Because he couldn't believe that what Jesus was offering to him was worth more than what he already had. He's like many people in history who sort of looked into Jesus as if he was something they might add to an already pretty good life. Uh, you know, life is pretty good, these people think to themselves. Maybe, maybe Jesus is just that last little piece that, of the puzzle that I need to make everything work out better. Well, Jesus makes a lousy add-on accessory to life because he's interested in being your life. We talk about our church as, as our vision is to, to display Jesus as the center of all life. And, and it, this morning, if you don't believe that what Jesus is calling to you is worth everything, there's a very good chance that you will turn away sadly as well. Jesus makes the point that for a rich person, it's very difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven because they're prone to have a really hard time letting go of the treasures they have. Treasures that according to the, the rules of the world and the values of the world are the things that make them very successful, very powerful, and uh, they're what life is supposed to be all about. You know, there was a, there's a sappy love song. It's probably more of a cheating song from the 70s when I was a kid that went something like, it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one comes along. <laughs> and I think that's what the rich young ruler is experiencing. He belongs to something else when the right one comes along. But unfortunately, he goes away sadly. I shouldn't really use a cheating song as an example of uh, the kingdom of heaven, but it just kind of reminded me of that. That's the story of his life. His heart was committed to the treasures of this world, so he was torn when Jesus challenged for his allegiance. Now, the important thing of what I've just read is the disciples were hearing all about this whole thing. We speak so often about this story of the rich young ruler, and yet it's really, there's a story within a story. Jesus tells that story. The rich young ruler walks away sad, and we never hear from him again. We have no idea if he ever kind of caved in and his heart softened, and he ever did sell everything and come follow Jesus. What we do know is the disciples were listening to the whole thing. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? What will we get? Peter's like, wait a minute. We did give up everything. It's as clear as day in his memory. Back in Matthew chapter 4, we read this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, fishing with a net, for they were commercial fishermen. That's their identity. They're commercial fishermen. Jesus called out to them, come be my disciples, and I will show you how to fish for people. 
And they left what? They left their nets at once and went with him. A little further up the shore, he saw two brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them to come. Look at this. Then they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. We're going to hear Jesus talk about the, the commitment of himself even over family a little bit later. So Peter's realizing after he's heard the exchange with Jesus and the rich young ruler, hey, wait, we did this. I did leave everything. Hey, Jesus, we've left everything. What will we get? And hold that thought because it's illustrated in our parable. And don't miss that Peter doesn't get scolded in this parable. He doesn't get corrected. Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 Peter, you didn't leave everything. Remember, you got that retirement fund or your, you know, whatever. Jesus seems to agree with them. He did leave him everything, but he gives him this warning in this parable, and that's what we want to look at this morning. Jesus' answer is to Peter's question, what will I get, is, is quite a lot. He said, I assure you that when the world is made new, a new heaven and a new earth, and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father, which Two of them already have done that. Or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are greatest now will be least important then and those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. So a rich young man that some, someone considered very great in Jesus' day will be far behind an uneducated working class stiff like Peter in the end on Judgment Day, but the key to it all is trust. This is the background of Jesus telling the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at 3 o'clock, he did the same thing. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman with the to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. There's a lot of things going on in this story. And remember, parables are usually, not always, 
meant to just kind of teach one main idea or point. And you can really get off track. I, I, if, you have, if you own a business, I don't want you to treat your employees like this. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a worker or a wanting to be a disciple, I wouldn't want you to think, you know, I'm just going to wait around till like the very last hour of my life before I start following Jesus. I'm going to get the same reward as there. It's not meant to teach things like that. The last hour employees, they aren't rewarded for showing up at the last hour. It's an attempt for Jesus to highlight the motives of the first hour workers. Uh, the main point I want you to grasp this morning is why would you settle for seeking to receive from God what you think you want or what you can imagine when he's able to give you beyond what you can even ask or imagine? Or another angle is that when it comes to giving your life to Christ, grab the opportunity to enter into the kingdom. But as a Christ follower, be careful what you ask for because you might just get it. Let's look at the way these three workers got started in vineyard business. Group one are ambitious. They're, uh, they're, they've traveled in the dark possibly to get to the front of the line at the Jerusalem manpower office. And uh, when the vineyards are ready for picking, um, it's pretty intense. You've you got to get to the grapes as soon as possible. So the manager comes in with the wagon, announces he has grapes that need picking. Who's interested? These first characters, they enter into negotiations. Notice Jesus says, he agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. That's in verse 2. Yeah, I'm willing to go, but I want your promise that you'll pay me the normal daily wage. That's, in this parable, that's what they can ask or imagine. They had an arrangement. And what's wrong with that? Well, Peter's sort of asking Jesus what kind of an arrangement was in place for them. And Jesus is warning Peter for his own good. Not a bad boy, Peter, but a warning. And I think a warning for all of us who would claim to be Christ followers. He's giving Peter some good advice. You know, Peter, before you try to play let's make a deal with God, remember who you're dealing with. Remember who you're dealing with. You can really make some big mistakes for settling for an arrangement when God might have something much bigger in mind for you in your life. Look at the difference with the second group. I don't know who they were, why they weren't there first thing. It maybe it was overcast that morning and their sundial alarm didn't go off. I don't know. They don't seem to make a deal. They're not too savvy when it comes to making arrangements with employers. They're the kind of people willing to put the results in the hands of someone else. And, and, and they're, in a word, trusting. Verse 4, so he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. The manager says, I will pay you what is right at the end of the day. The first workers seemed to already know what was right. The normal daily wage was right for them. They wanted to dictate the terms. The second group didn't have an arrangement. All they had was a promise. Then look at the last group. They're the Nighthawks. How come you're not working? Well, nobody's hired us was their answer. Well, then go join the others. No arrangement, hardly even a hint of a promise. All they're offered is, is an opportunity to go and work. Maybe, maybe they think of it as a tryout or an internship. Maybe they don't even expect to get paid at all. Maybe if we do good work for this last hour, maybe tomorrow he'll give us a paying job. I'm not sure what their thinking is. The parable doesn't give us those differences. Um, then it's pay time. This is where it gets interesting. Where once again, Jesus is in many of his parables and stories has this giant upside down reversal from what we would expect. In many areas of the world, migrant workers and casual laborers are still paid day-to-day -day at the end of the workday. 
I once worked as a vegetable picker on the Holland Marsh while uh, I was off a year of college. My dad was on strike, and there wasn't a lot of jobs around Barrie, so I was out there on the Holland Marsh picking vegetables all day. I remember this, uh, um, I think she was a Romanian woman coming with, like, whiskey, <laughs> coffee break to give us shots, you know, like this, hey, here's a little picker-upper for you. I didn't have any, but uh, it was still strange. But we got paid at the end of the day. We picked vegetables all day. They paid us in cash. We drove home. And uh, that's the, the kind of existence that goes on in, among migrant workers definitely back in the day. And uh, it, you, would use those, you would use that money at the end of the day to buy the things you needed on the way home through the market most likely. So those last workers are called first. There's no explanation that this is how it's usually done. That's not where we're to get kind of lost in the details. In Jesus' parable, he wants those last workers paid first because the shock on those guys that worked all day is what he's setting us up for. And there they are. They're given a full day's wages for only working a few, mo a few moments. They're meant to help us learn that in serving God, it's, it's important to remember the kind of God we're serving. And, and though watching from the end of the line and those guys that, who came later are paid a full day's wages, full day's wages, I don't know if you remember your first job, my, my first job, if you were like me, it was in like a fast food restaurant, Burger King. Working at Burger King for a big $2.20 an hour, which was five cents over minimum wage. I got a bonus to start. And uh, I can remember, if you're a young kid working in a burger joint, and you're there for your six hours after school, you're just doing the math. And maybe that was the advantage of not being paid much, I could still do the math. It's like... I've made four bucks already. Oh, I've made eight dollars. I've made 12 bucks tonight. And you're counting your money as the time goes by. Well, maybe these guys at the back of the line are thinking, they got paid a full day's wages? This is great. Imagine what I'm going to get paid. And they're, they're counting their dollars before they've come. And uh, remember Peter. He's been observing Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler. And he said, Jesus, we've left everything. What will we get? Those first workers, Jesus comes to them, gives them the bag of coin, and he counts it out. One day's wages. Just what you agreed upon. How would you feel if you were that guy that had worked all day and got that one day's wages? Probably ripped off. They really didn't have much to complain about. They were receiving exactly what they'd asked for. But this parable's painting a picture of a God who's over and above all. He's completely sovereign, and he's able to do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. I don't believe for a second those guys at the end of the day ever even imagined asking for a full day's wages for what they had done. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. If you rescan the whole storyline in your Bible with where we've been so far, we started out with our poor young ruler. That's why I'm going to call him the poor young ruler because he walked away sad and he walked away only with his earthly treasures because Jesus had something far greater in mind for him. So we'll just call him the poor young ruler. How do rich people get rich anyway? Other than the ones that inherit money, I guess. Rich people get rich usually by being able to recognize an opportunity, but he's not. He's, 
he's talking to somebody who, uh, he's not just talking to somebody who would be able to add a few pieces to a decent life. He's walking with somebody who's talking about a treasure, a pearl of great price, something worth selling everything you have in order to acquire it. And he walks away sad, unbeknownst to him, he's walking away poor because he's walking away from the opportunity of a lifetime. Then Peter asks, well, Lord, we've left everything. What does that mean? Jesus explains, Peter, anyone who leaves and then fill in the blank, because he talked about a lot of things that you could leave. I don't think it's an exhaustive list. Is there something holding you back from your commitment to Christ? Something that you know if he were to put his finger on it, it would be, I don't know. I kind of think I really need that. I don't know that I could do without that. What types of things do people have to choose between in the kingdom? Significance in the world? Jesus promises, promises, promises them significance in the next world. Houses, brothers, fathers, sisters, children. Sometimes to walk with God will mean a choice between whom you're going to seek to please in life. People have lost the esteem of family, even if they haven't lost their family. Some of you have experienced that. Jesus says, trust me, you will not be regretting it. You will receive back 100 times as much and eternal life in that new heaven and new earth. How is God able to do that? How, what would it look like to receive back 100 times? What could some of those things and relationships mean to me? I can't imagine what that would look like. But see, this is why God is the perfect center for my life. Why Jesus and his kingdom are worth our allegiance far more than anything that this world could ever offer us. Because he's able to do infinitely more than I can ever imagine. There's, a, there's like a self-help cliche that people say all the time, if you can dream it, you can do it. You know? Or if you can vision it, you can achieve it. Jesus says, beyond all that you could even ask or imagine. When you deal with God, remember who you're dealing with. What's in it for me, Peter asked, more than you could ever imagine, Peter. Don't try to make arrangements with God that are limited by your understanding of what he can give you. It would probably be a loss to only receive from God what you think you can get. Far better to trust an all-loving, gracious God to supply what he wants to give you. I think many people walk away sad. Full, they walk away from full participation in the kingdom of God because they didn't get what they thought they wanted and needed, and they end up missing out on more than they could ever imagine. In the language of our parable, blessed are those who wait and see what he thinks is fair rather than trying to make an arrangement. Let me ask you this. Are you maybe only getting from God what you're asking for? Sometimes I've seen people make some decisions and instantly something happens and they right away say, see, God answered our prayers. Look, at this happened. More than once, Janine has said to me when we've heard stories like that, maybe God wanted to do something even more for them. <laughs> maybe sometimes we get what we ask for because of a lack of faith, not because of faith. Maybe God would have answered that prayer in a completely different way if they were only willing to trust. 
In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask them? But it comes down to trust. When when you're faced with choices, you're not likely going to uh, choose things that purposely work out for your harm. But when you choose anything over the kingdom of God, you choose to lose when you don't choose God. Please listen very closely. Uh, make sure you hear I'm not saying that the kingdom of God is this church here, Renaissance Baptist Church, or I'm not talking about some kind of Blackman program, but the actual opportunity to experience more and more of the reign of God in your life. <laughs> I don't think we're often at praying for that. God, would you be in control of even more of my life? Would you reign in me? Would you, would you be even more of the focus of my life? Uh, the illusion we're under is often that we know what the best thing God can do for us might be. When you do find the treasure that is Christ, you find that he doesn't provide you with what you have earned. He doesn't bless you based on what you deserve or by what you really need and what you really wanted even before you knew you wanted it. So much of religion is about merit when the gospel is about mercy. These guys were looking for merit and this landowner was giving out mercy. This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. So what will you get out of a relationship with Christ? What will a life given to him for his purposes bring us? Trust him. He's a God who earnestly rewards those who seek him. Is God able to do beyond what we can even ask or hope for? Then, then if he is, what are we doing trying to negotiate deals with him and trying to dictate to him how we think our life should go, how it should turn out, how it should end, what's in it for our future? This chapter actually ends with an interesting story. I don't have time to look at it too much, but as Jesus and his disciples leave Jericho, there's a huge crowd following, and two blind men are on the side of the road. And, and they, they hear that Jesus is coming their way, and they start shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd shushes them because they're nobodies, right? They're just blind beggars. Quiet down. You're interrupting the master. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I think because they ask for something specific, we want to see. And we think, isn't that the opposite of what the parable was just teaching? Except what would most of us ask? Be like, you know what, I'm blind, so, so uh, I could use some more money, some shelter. Can you uh, tell my kids to start taking care of me so I'm not out here? Can you supply me with a seeing eye dog or a white cane or, uh, you know, just some assistance here? He says, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes, and instantly they could see. Then they followed him. What did they do with their blessing? After they're blessed... They took the opportunity it provided to follow Jesus. My prayer for you at whatever stage you're on in your spiritual journey, and, and if it's not a journey that's leading you to Christ and his salvation, then change journeys and seek him and follow him. But come to God with open hands, not a wish list. 
Trust him that what he gives you is not what you think you can get. Trust him for what he wants to give you. It makes all the difference in the world and in the next world. So let me close with one little story. Yesterday at uh, Kath's mom's funeral, um, we were singing Amazing Grace, and an idea came to me about the, one of the two verses that we all know when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's one of the two chapters, everybody, two verses most people can sing from memory. And what we talked about yesterday was that sounds dull to most people. 10,000 years of church. Maybe we'll know all the answers to the catechism. Other than that, we can't really imagine how this is going to be so much fun. And what I talked about yesterday was gratefulness. Those of you that are parents and have been blessed to be parents, it's one of the saddest things you can see when your kids are not grateful. Ungrateful, that ungrateful little person, we would say. We know that people are really at their best when they're grateful. We know that, that we, when we're really grateful at the end of a day, it's probably been a great day. You know, it's a little catchphrase on Instagram, you know, got the shiny family picture and everybody's teeth's perfect and they say, blessed, hashtag blessed. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less, imagine unended gratefulness. Unended gratefulness. We'll be at our best. We won't be complaining about getting what God gave us at the end of the day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help all of us who have, through the grace of your Holy Spirit, been given new life in Christ. Lord, for some of us many years ago, help us to live a life of trust and gratefulness that we can know that you are returning in power. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, that our service for you is never wasted. We will not spend one minute in eternity ungrateful for the way that you've blessed us because we trust in your word that says you're able to do exceedingly beyond what we can even ask or imagine. So, Lord, I pray that you would make us trusting people, grateful people, and and joyful people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. For more information, please visit brooklynrbc.ca. The link is also in our bio. On behalf of the Renaissance Baptist Church of Brooklyn, we pray you have a blessed week.